Wow, what's up? Thank you, guys. Uh, please be seated, man. Uh, wow, what a great opportunity this already is. I just, I just want to give some credit right out of the gate here to Lifesong Church and Pastor David and Janelle to putting on a conference like this. Come on, you guys give it up for this house right here. You know, because these guys, they, they have church this weekend too, so they, they got to do their regular stuff. And they're having to do this as well, and something like this doesn't come across or, or happen without a whole lot of work. And so, uh, great job, uh, David, Janelle, and uh, and Pastor Derek and Stacy over at Connect. Come on, you guys, give it up for Pastor Derek and Stacy as well. I love doing life with these guys and uh, just helping make the church a whole lot better. And so, uh, I, I stand before you today. Just simply as somebody who, who hasn't figured it out yet. How many of you are still figuring it out? Come on, raise your hand if you're not all there yet. Okay. All right, not everybody raised their hand. So how many of you attended this conference with somebody you know they ain't got it all figured out yet? Come on. <laughs> but maybe they think they do. Come on, raise your hand on that one. All right. And so no, no one here has got it all figured out. The question is when you show up at a conference like this, hey, man, how are things going? Let me just tell you how it's going. It doesn't matter whether you just started last week or whether you've been going for 25 years. There are some things that you just can't wait to tell people about, even if it's one or two things. And then you all have some leaders or staff that if you could kill them and get away with it, you would. Come on, how many of you got a couple of people on your team right now? You'd love to strangle them. Come on, it's okay. Maybe they're here, but just raise your hand anyway. We'll work it out today, I promise you, all right? And so, listen, let's, why don't we just do this today? Let's check all of this, how's your church doing, how big is it, what's going on? Leave that at the door, amen? Because it doesn't matter. We're all one church here today, and we're better when we're together, and God is doing something up here in New England. And when this kind of stuff happens up here, you know God's doing something. Amen. Come on, give God some praise for that. Uh, look, we, we just had a major hurricane in Florida. I, I pastor Bayside Community Church. We started 15 years ago, and uh, we're Ark Church Plant number five. And so uh, we have some, how many church planters do we have in the house? Come on, raise your hand. If you're a church plant, let's give it up for these crazy men and women of God right here. Because you, you got to be a, a fool to plant a church. You know, you really do. You just, you really have to. And so we were church plant number five with Ark. I serve on the board there, the leadership team. And, uh, and, and I just know the church is better when we're all together. And uh, the, the Ark, the, the heart of the Ark is... For us to, to not say, listen, come be a part of the art. You can stay a part of your network and your tribe and be a part of this as well. Because the more churches that we plant in New England and the more that we work together, the better New England has a greater chance of revival, right, when we work this way. Amen. And so I want to give it up for Pastor Dino, the leader of the art. Come on, Dino, stand up. You guys give it up for Pastor Dino Rizzo. Yeah. You guys are going to hear from him a little bit later. And uh, you may think that I'm funny, but I, there's no one funnier than Pastor Dino Rizzo. We're going to learn a lot, have a great time as well. Pastor Carl Lentz from Hillsong, New York, is going to be here as well today sharing a session with us. 
But here's, here's where I was really going with, with all of this. We just had some uh, major hurricane, you know, storms in Florida. And, uh, and I, I just am so proud of the church, the capital C church. Because what happened when those hurricanes hit Florida is we really became one church. And uh, I don't know if you saw this article that came out in the Washington Post a week ago. But 80% of all hurricane relief in Texas and now in Florida has come from the nonprofits from the church, not the federal government. So let's give praise to God for some of that. And so being in the middle of that crisis and seeing all the churches, we don't, we don't really care how big your church is. We don't care how long ago you started. It doesn't matter what denomination or network you're with. We all need to rally together. And when we do that, we're so much better. And that's what God is doing in the church in America right now. In the midst of all the politics and all the goofy. How many of you know this is a goofy time we're living in right now, all right? I'm embarrassed at everybody in politics right now, okay? But here's what I do know, that the church is getting stronger while the world and the government is getting weaker. And that's a good place. We are positioned in a great spot, church, to do something incredible for him. And so being here just sets us up as a church in New England to do incredible things. So I'm really honored, you know, to be here at Lifesong and Pastor Derek and Stacy and what is happening up here in New England and what ARC and Relate. And Relate is just simply a support to the ARC, the relational connection of the ARC. We just want to do life together. Amen? And so I'm real honored to be here today. So here's what's going to happen today. If you've never been to a Relate conference, how many of you, this is your first Relate event? Let me see your hands. All right. Come on, let's give it up for these guys. So today is simply an opportunity for a Life Song Church and, and all of us that are, are serving in leadership with Relate, where we just simply want to take the tools in our tool chest. So you're going to go to some breakouts today, and they're going to be very practical, okay? And what's going to happen in those times is they're going to open up their toolbox for a children's ministry or hospitality or worship ministry. And they're going to say, here are the tools that we use and here's why they work for us. And they're going to share them with you. We're going to give them to you. You can take them and copy and paste it and put your name on it and make it however you want it. And then go use it because when we share tools and ideas together, we're so much better that way. And so today is going to be the most practical, inspiring relational building conference I hope that you've ever been to and that's our desire amen so uh, you're going to get some encouragement and inspiration from pastors Dino and Carl and I hope to encourage you a little bit here today as well but we want you to get some tools all right so would you do me a favor would you just shut everything off for just a moment and let's pray and I just want God to speak to us today as we kind of launch this conference God uh, I stand here today uh, just really as someone who wants to be used by you. God, I, I'm surely not, not feeling like I've got it all together today. In fact, there are a lot of things on my mind right now that are unsettled that I need to figure out myself. But God, right now, I don't want Randy to get in the way. In fact, I just pray that I would decrease and may you increase. God, there are men and women of God here that came here today because they want to hear from you. They, they want tools and resources but God, if it's not inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is all going to be a big waste. So today, speak to us. God, give us hearts right now that we might receive something from you. Let it be planted in us that we're forever changed, leaving this place different than we came. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...
Amen. I recently found this story of a man who got to read his obituary while he was still alive. I mean, you know, that'd be a good thing to do, right? To know what people are going to say about you before you die, right? And uh, have you guys ever heard of the Nobel Prizes before, right? Well, they were started and they're funded by a guy named Alfred Nobel. He lived in the 1800s and uh, he, he invented dynamite, right? Dynamite, right? I mean, you remember JJ, come on. How many of you old enough remember J.J.? Let me see. How many of you are too young to know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, go watch TV Land or something. You know what I'm saying? All right, so Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And uh, when, when his brother died, the newspaper thought that it was Alfred that died, but it was actually his brother. So they printed the obituary for Alfred Nobel and he woke up to read his brother's obituary, and he read his own obituary, and he got to see what people were going to say about him. They called him the merchant of death. And they said, this is the man who made it possible to kill more people more quickly than anyone else who's ever lived. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a bad day when you read that. <laughs> you know he had to feel proud. Babe, did you see what they said about me, right? Those of you that didn't know what dynamite was and JJ, you don't know what a newspaper is either, but that's okay. <laughs> so Alfred realized that that's not how he wanted to be remembered. So he was a very wealthy man, and uh, he 94% of his wealth when he died, he passed it on to fund the Nobel Prizes. And the, isn't it funny, the man who was the merchant of death, the most famous is the Nobel Peace Prize. He changed his legacy, did he not? Today's, his work that he gave to fund those was $250 million. And they're still funded through a, a, a trust, an endowment uh, that is still happening today. He changed his legacy. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I want there to be a legacy in my life that when I'm gone, I want to be remembered that I did something great for God. And, uh, you know, I'm originally from Louisiana. Anybody here ever been to Louisiana? What? Why? To go eat. That's what it is. People go to Louisiana on eating vacations, right? Come on. You know, by the way, when you go and eat in Cajun food, what you do not do is ask what's in it. You don't want to know. You just you eat it, and it is good. It's say bon. Everybody, well, let me teach you some Cajun, all right? You ready? Say bon. Everybody say that. You know what that means, right? It's good. So if you just go to Louisiana, every time you eat, say bon, then it's going to be all right. So I'm from Louisiana originally, from Baton Rouge. Uh, moved and started Bayside 15 years ago. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in my uh, session today. And uh, it, right now during this time, I kind of share with you a little bit of some things that happened on my journey there. But being originally from Louisiana, so uh, I am a true Cajun. You know the people on Swamp People? You know you see those shows, right? Even I can't understand what they're saying. You know, thank God for subtitles, right? So in Louisiana, we tell jokes over there about ourselves. You know, I don't know who you make fun of here, but we tell jokes about a guy named Boudreaux in Louisiana. Boudreaux is a common last name for people from Louisiana, all right? So let me tell you a joke about Boudreaux, all right? Boudreaux has a friend named Thibodeau, all right? So one day, Thibodeau gets up, and he goes to work, and he's driving down the street, and he looks over where Boudreaux's house is, and he sees Boudreaux just in the middle of his field, just standing there. Thibodeau thinks that's kind of interesting. He goes to work. He comes back home, and there's Boudreaux standing out in his field. 
Thibodeau, man, that, that man, he's crazy, huh? So the next day, Boudreaux gets up to go, or Thibodeau gets up to go to work again, and he sees Boudreaux standing in his field again. So he goes over there, and he said, man, Boudreaux, what are you doing standing out here in your field, eh? That's how them Cajuns talk like that, okay? And Boudreaux said, I heard to be successful in life, you got to be outstanding in your field. <laughs> Come on, I don't care who you are, that's funny, right? I know I love it when I tell jokes like that because people are looking for something real deep. You got to dumb it way down, people. <laughs> Outstanding in his field, right? I, uh, I have a desire to be outstanding in my field, all right? I, I want to leave a legacy, and I know that you probably do as well. So I want to talk to you today about how to live a life where you can leave a legacy, where your obituary at the end of it it's written more like a man named Joshua. At the end of his life, there's a statement made about him at the end of Joshua in Joshua chapter 24 that is said about him. It's his eulogy. And it says this, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. I mean, you know, that's a good obituary right there. That's a eulogy that's that's good to have said about you. Some of you here today, you're really struggling. Maybe there's some obstacle that's in front of you. You're not really sure how it's going to work out. It could be a church thing, a marriage thing, a ministry thing, a health thing. And I want you to know that God has destined you for greatness in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to give you this word. You know this. It says in Jeremiah, before I formed you, God said, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And I set you apart, appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The reason why you're in ministry, the reason why you're leading the church or leading a ministry like you are right now, because God appointed you. And there's nothing in front of you today that's going to keep that promise from holding true. Everything else may crumble and fall, but the word of God and the calling on your life, it stands forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God some praise for that because he still has a purpose and a plan for you. So, Joshua. That's what was said about him at the end of his life. But if you and I are going to live our legacy, then it starts with us making the right decisions today. What is going to be said about you at the end of your life is really based on what you do today. So Joshua, when he started the leadership of the nation of Israel, he's about to walk into the, to the promised land, right? You know, the land of the giants, and I don't mean the land of the giants where Odell Beckham catches these crazy passes, okay? That's not what I mean by the land of the giants. How many Patriots fans hate the giants? Come on, let me just see. I knew that was coming, man. I went to my first game at Fenway on Tuesday night, and so I'm, I'm over, okay, because they, they lost. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll never go again, I promise, all right? How many of you are thankful for that? Because obviously I'm has some bad karma here. All right. They're about to walk into the promised land. Joshua is about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. They're going to attack and conquer the very first city. You guys are familiar with this story. Look in Joshua 5. So when Joshua was near in Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Let me let you know something about ministry and, and living your legacy. Every time you make a decision to do anything great in life, there will always be a test of that decision. It doesn't matter what it is. 
you know, you hear from God, you get all excited, I'm going to plant that church, we're going to get married, we're going to have a child, we're going to start that ministry, whatever it is, and you can be assured there will be a test. There's going to be somebody with a drawn sword standing there that's going to try to keep you from living in it. It happens. When we started Bayside 15 years ago, God bless you. Hey, listen, we're relaxed tonight, okay? So everybody, everybody take a deep breath, go in and in and out, all right? Okay. So uh, when we started this church 15 years ago, I was, I was so pumped and so excited. You know, we had Chris Hodges and my brother Rick Bezet with the first two art church plans. They got like 685,000 people at their first service, you know. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to conquer the world. We had 220 people at our first service. That was awesome. I was praising God. And we had the most incredible revival over the next three months. We grew steadily without stop from 220 down to 87 people. Come on, let's give God some praise for some of that. Oh, no, you don't praise God for that. You're like, God, what is the matter with you? Come, the old man has lost his mind. Come on, somebody. We're going to be real in this place because you get mad at God. Like, what are you doing? I thought you said there are going to be obstacles Every time you make a decision to go after God. Not long after that, our oldest son, he got really sick. He was in all children's hospital for a couple of weeks. They kept telling us he's going to have leukemia. And I remember thinking, God, if, if this is what it takes to live the legacy that you've called me to, I wave the white flag. I, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with this. See, there's always a test. Leaders, pastors, there's always a test of the vision that God gives you. And you can be assured that there's going to be a sword drawn, drawn standing in front of you at some point in time against the legacy that God has called you to live. It's going to happen. We had people in our church that were our best friends. Got mad at us and left and told everybody in the church we were people didn't live by character and went down the road and started another church. I thought, well, they're the drawn sword. I'm going to go cut their head off. You know what I'm saying? Come on, it's okay to be mad at people. Right? I mean, I don't know what it is or not. That's what I do, okay? <laughs> I'm from Louisiana. I'm from the, the Louisiana Mafia. I will bear you in a bayou. They'll never find you. <laughs> you don't even know, man. <laughs> Shoot, right? It's like, what's going on? Then, then we had a, a, one of our leadership team had a moral failure. The most prominent position besides mine in the church is like, God... What in the world is going on? 2008, during the financial collapse, we were trying to build our first building. The banks didn't have any money to lend it. So we're, we're doing five services in a school, doing portable church. And we couldn't build a building because of the financial collapse. It's like, God, what in the world are you doing? Let me tell you something, leaders. Every time you make a decision for God, there's always going to be a test of that. And you're going to have to decide, like Joshua, I'm going to stand strong and I'm going to trust God anyway so that I can live my legacy in Jesus' name. But isn't that the question that we all ask? God, whose side are you on? Like, God, I thought you said. Let me tell you something. That is the wrong question to ask. Because if God, if you have to ask him, whose side are you on? Well, first of all, theologically, let me, let me kind of set this straight. Because not everybody agrees that, that this was essence was God. Most theologians do. 
they do. And even if it isn't, it was an angel. But let's say it's not an angel. It's a dude with a sword. It's still a problem. Okay, so let's all agree on that, all right? <laughs> Everybody agree with that. Okay. So Joshua is standing there, and he's facing opposition, and he asked God the question, whose side are you on? If that were the right question, then that means God can sometimes be on the wrong side. See, he was asking the wrong question. God, are you for us or are you against us? And see, when Joshua gave God the question, there were two options. You're either with me or you're against me, and God said neither. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, this is multiple choice, God. You know, it's not an option three over there, okay? And God says neither because here's what I want you to understand. If you're going to live your legacy then you have to be willing to make adjustments. Because it isn't always going to play out like you see it. You know how the, the scripture says that the vision, it speaks of the end. You see the end product, but how you get there is probably going to be full of detours. Just so you know, there's going to be some road bumps, there's going to be some blockage along the way, and you're going to have to be willing to make some adjustments. In your life, you, you have to say, God, what do I need to learn? God, what are you trying to teach me through this? See, Joshua was learning a lesson that God sometimes needs you to make adjustments. He's not the one at fault. And so this is not a one-time decision either. I want you to understand that as a leader, as a person who's going to accomplish great things, you have to regularly make adjustments in your life. See, Joshua ended up saying, okay, God, what message do you have for me? In other words, God, you're not the one on the wrong side. I am. What adjustments do I need to make? You need to understand that's not a one-time decision. It wasn't for Joshua. Remember the time when he was about to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River? And he was going to lead them across the river. And, and you guys know this. It was at flood stage. It's a mile wide, 600 feet deep. I mean, it's a big deal, right? And Joshua was going to lead the nation of Israel. And I'm sure... Forty years they had wandered around in the desert. Don't you know he probably thought of how God was going to accomplish that? I know in my mind, when I have a problem, I think, I calculate. Okay, let's see, God, we need this much money. If this many people give, then this will help us get that, and that's how we'll accomplish that. I figured out in my mind. How many of you do that? But let me tell you something. Your ways are not God's ways, and his ways are higher than your ways. And the way that you come up with solving a problem, if it works that way, then you're going to go, man, it's a good thing I come up with a plan like that. Because, man, God sure is proud of me. It's a good thing I'm so smart. He's not going to use your way. Because he gets all the credit. He deserves all the credit. And so what did Joshua do when they were going to cross the Jordan? He says, keep your eye on the ark. Don't keep your mind on how you think it ought to happen. See, we have to regularly make adjustments. Let me tell you something that I had to learn, the adjustments in my life. I planted the church, started with 220, went down to 87 people. God, whose side are you on? You know what I had to learn? It's my job to be faithful. It's God's job to grow the church. I had to make an adjustment. Those 87 people, Randy, be a good steward of the 87 people and let God bring the multiplication. That's not up to me. Something I had to learn. That's an adjustment I had to make. When my son was sick in the hospital, instead of being worried about it, you know the adjustment I had to make? 
is that, God, I put my worship music on, and I'm just going to worship you. You're a good God. No matter what the circumstances say, you're the healer and no one else. And so, God, I'm just going to get my eyes on you. And my son ended up with not leukemia. He's alive. He's doing well, and he's healthy. Amen. In Jesus' name. I had to adjust my own heart instead of worried and full of fear. When those people left and planted that church and spread all these rumors about us, you know the adjustment that I had to make? The adjustment I had to make was, God, you're my defender. I'm, I'm not coming down from building the wall you set for me to build, and I'm going to deal with Sanballat and Tobiah. No, I'm going to keep building the wall. You be my defender in Jesus' name. And you know what? I don't even know if that church is still going on, and I don't really care. I'm going to build the wall God's called me to build, right, in Jesus' name. I don't know what people are standing against you, and it doesn't matter because God is your defender in Jesus' name. When we lost our finances and couldn't build a building and couldn't raise money because the economy was so bad, I had to learn that God, his economy, is not determined by what the world economy is doing. You see, God is not subject to the stock market, the housing market, the world market, or anybody else's market. And we, we built the building in 2010, and we moved into it. And now we have six campuses, and, and all that stuff has all been funded and paid for by God. In fact, we just built an $18 million facility just a year and a half ago, and it's all paid for debt-free. Why? Because God is our provider. It doesn't matter what the markets say, right? And I'm not telling you that because it's like, hey, look what I did. I have to make adjustments. And what's the drawn sword in front of you right now? Instead of saying, God, I thought you said, God, what do you need to do in me? You see what I had to learn from this pastor who had a moral failure and I was worried about the church? You know what I had to learn? You know what the adjustment I had to make? Is that the church is not built on a person. The church is built on the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter who comes and who goes. I could leave. His church was here before I got here, and it's going to be here long after I'm gone. The church is built on Jesus Christ, not on a person. So you have to be willing. If you're going to live your legacy, you've got to be willing to make some adjustments along the way. And because Joshua did that, it said about him at the end of his life that Israel served the Lord throughout his generation and through his lifetime. So that's the first thing we have to realize is we got to make adjustments. The second thing I want you to understand is it ain't about you. And that's a good lesson to learn. See, it's not about you. You see, because right after Joshua made this comment, you for us or against us, and he says neither, right? Look at the next sentence or the next statement in Joshua 5. The commander of the Lord army, he replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing. It is holy ground. And Joshua did so. I think it's interesting that God asked him to take off his sandals because his sandals represented his authority. It, it represented who he was and his calling. And uh, you, you're, all of us are going to have to get to the place in life where the things that God has called us to, the legacy that we want to live in our lives, we have to be willing to take that off and say, God, if that never happens, that's okay. I'm going to stay focused on you because it ain't really about me. It's about you, Lord. And, and when, you, when you think about what God was asking him to do, I want to make sure that you're really clear about what this really means, how Joshua was taking off his sandals, really giving up his authority. First of all, I think you and I are in a wrestling match with God all the time. How many of you believe that, right? 
Do we have any, like, high school sports? Like, is high school football a big deal around here? Do you guys? Yeah. You, you remember when you were in high school and you had these cheers? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about? Come on, you guys remember that? And then, and then the other side would cheer. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about? You, you know, you go back and forth, right, across the stadium. And then eventually everybody tries to outdo each other. And then it's all like, we're number one. We're number one. Come on, you guys remember those high school days? Some of you wanted to forget those days, right? I think you and I do the same thing with God. Ah, number one. Ah, we try to hold on to control. But some of you today, it's time for you to take off your shoes. It's time for you to take off your authority and say, God, this is what I believe you called me to do. But God, I don't want to do it because it really isn't about me. It's about you in Jesus' name. Here's the, here's the spiritual context or the scriptural context of this taking off your sandals. It was instituted back in Deuteronomy. So uh, what, what God was telling the nation of Israel is that we're going to read this scripture in a moment. That if, if you have a, a brother and your brother dies and his wife does not have any children to carry on the name, then as the brother-in-law, you have duty to marry her and, so she, and have children with her so she can carry on the name. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy and, and read what happens. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I don't want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face. I mean, you know, that's nasty. All right. And then we'll say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. That's all. You know, you go fill out a loan application. What is your name? The family of the unsandaled. I mean, you know, that's awkward right there, okay? But could you imagine the conversation? They go up to, hey, look, look, bro, your brother's dead. You need to carry on the, your sister-in-law. You got to marry her. Can you imagine some of the awkward conversation? Well, I don't really, we don't get along. I don't like her. At, fam, at Thanksgiving, it just gets awkward. You know, I, I'm not doing it. I don't, you know, just I'm not, I'm not doing it, right? You, you, know, you know how it went, right? And then she goes over there, takes off his sandal and spits in his face. That's, that's a bad day, right? And you can't do anything about it. Because he took off his sandal, in essence, saying, I give up my rights. And so now God is with Joshua, and he's telling him, take off your sandals, your rights, to live in the legacy that I promised to you. And that is something that we all have to decide to do. Let me ask you this question. What are you dreaming about? What are the things in your life that are yet unfulfilled in your ministry, in your family, or with your children, or with your finances, or whatever it is? You've got to get to the place where you say, God, I take off my sandals. God, whatever happens in my life, it's not up to me, God. It's up to you. And if you never do anything else in my life, God, it's okay because I'm yours in every bit of me. I'm yours. That is a hard place to be. 
that's difficult to surrender and say, God, it's all right. And you know that Joshua, if we think about his own life, you know that he had to look at Moses' life, his person that, that he was going to succeed. And you know he had to look at his life many times and think how he was going to do it better. You know, I've read Moses' leadership blog, and I could say all that stuff. I know, that Jethro principle, I could have told him that if he'd asked me. You know that he thought, well, what he has, I've really got more than that. And so I really want to live my legacy. And I see other people doing their leadership stuff, but I could really do more than that. But what Joshua didn't know is the price that Moses paid to get to where he was. Because when Moses was on the mountain hearing from God, what did God say to him? Take off your sandals. See, all of us, if you're going to accomplish what God wants to do in your life, you've got to be willing to take off your own rights and say, God, it is not about me, it's about you. Because we know that ultimately Moses quit taking off his sandals and started making it more about himself than God. Because you see, when God first called him, wasn't Moses very insecure? Well, I don't know. I'm a stutterer, and, you know, I really can't do this. And God's like, take off your sandals. That ain't about you. It's about me. And God used him. And then later on, Moses made it about himself. Let's read this verse real quick. The Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy, you will not bring this community into the land that I swore to give them. He never lived his legacy because he decided to quit taking off his sandals. He quit honoring the name of God and made it more about himself. Some of you today, it's time to take off your sandals. You see, a couple of weeks ago, Bayside was scheduled to celebrate our 15th birthday as a church. September 8th, 2002, we had our very first service. And so we decided to celebrate our birthday this year. And uh, as a result of that, uh, God sent us a hurricane. Hurricane Irma came, and we had to cancel services that weekend. And, and I'll never forget how frustrated. I mean, there's a lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of money was spent on celebrating this birthday. And, and it wasn't even going to be about, you know, hey, you know, praise God. It was going to be celebrating what God had done. But, yeah, all of this planning, and now there's a hurricane. God, what is the matter with you? Old man lost his mind again. Come on, somebody. Sunday morning, when we were supposed to be having church, celebrating all that God had done, I got a phone call from one of the shelters saying they were out of supplies, and could we bring them some supplies? So while a hurricane is happening, I put my son, Dylan, we, we got in my truck, drove to the church, loaded it up with as much stuff as we could get, and we drove it to the shelter. On Sunday morning, I'm driving my truck to the shelter to bring supplies in the middle of a hurricane, which should have been our 15-year birthday. And instead of having church service, we actually got to be the church instead of having church. Is that the way I scripted it? Oh, no. But I took my sandals off and said, God, whatever you want to do. And it just so happens that that week of the hurricane, which was the week we were celebrating our birthday, was probably the most influential, impactful week that our church has ever had. We, there was a, a police officer killed, you know, during the, uh, the storm. We had services there. The governor was there. The, you know, attorney generals. All, all, all these people were there. I couldn't have paid for that kind of influence. But it happened because it's not about Randy. 
It's about what God wants to do through his church. And as a result of that, we go back to the verse we started with in Joshua 24. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything the Lord had done. That's what I want my eulogy to be. I've got to make adjustments and keep taking off my sandals. Would you do me a favor and just close your eyes for just a moment? And what is the drawn sword problem that is in front of you? It, 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 could, it can invoke actual a person who you find is opposing you. It could be a situation in your church. Maybe there's something you've got to go back and deal with that's waiting for you. Maybe it's just a dream that you thought God was going to fulfill that perhaps is dead or you think it's dead. So what I'd like to invite you to do is in your own heart, would you take your sandals off? And would you say, God, it's not about me. I just want to be a good representation of you. And whatever it takes, I got a plan. But God, I want my steps ordered by you. So would you, in your own heart right now, would you just take off your sandals and say, God, if this never happens, if this problem never changes, if this relationship is never restored, if this, this issue never really dies, it's okay, God, because I'm trusting you. Now, would you lift your hands to the Lord as just a sign of surrendering that to him when I want to pray over you? Father God, you know every man and, and every woman, every situation they're dealing with now, and God... Ministry and life, it just is hard. It gets muddied. The lines are not clear on what is ministry and what is family and what is mine and what is yours. But God, I just make a decision in this moment, in my entirety, in my life as a whole. I take off my sandals. And my life has already been bought and paid for with a price. And I don't want it, God. I remember the day when I first surrendered my life to you, my, my wrongs and my rights. And now I get to that place again and I surrender my wrongs and my rights. The things that you've even spoken to me that you would do, they're not mine anymore. God, renew in me my first love again. God, pour your Holy Spirit in me to accomplish what you want to do, but not to me, unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor David.